Uh, hey, so we are uh, in First Kings. We'll pick it up at the last couple of verses to pick up Baasha. But I uh, just wanted to share with you something God has done that's been really, really special and beautiful uh, over this last week. Uh, some of you know that a couple of years ago our church was broken into, not once, but twice. And uh, it, all of our tour gear was about 10 grand worth of stuff, tour stuff was taken including two of my guitars. And uh, that didn't bother me as much. I mean, it's a bummer when that stuff's gone. But what really, what really, really uh, bothered me was the fact that it was someone we'd been reaching out to, someone that we'd been loving on and serving and seeking to invest in. And we knew it was someone that had some problems. And we were really seeking to help them out of it. And the problem was when this person would, would just connect they they were just they were a gifted Bible teacher and they were they were they were really great in a lot of ways. But this, some people are like that they're just full on. So when they're full on good, they're full on great. And when they're full on not, you never doubt it. And that was this young man. And unfortunately, apparently, um, we discovered it was him. He had actually been. We knew he was involved. To what degree we knew that he was at least trying to sell one of the guitars. Uh, it was his name on the, the thing when he had brought it to cash converters. And it was even worse because he, I guess he was on probation while it was happening. And then later what would happen is they said, well, the policeman who we'd think to Hugo and others who had, I think it was Hugo primarily, who found the, one of the guitars. Actually, it's the one we're playing tonight. And uh, it was really bashed in. It needed, I mean, it just, by God's grace, we were able to get enough work to get it to function. It'll never be the same, but they, it's... It's only a thing. and uh, But the policeman said, well, this guy's already um, on probation for this thing, and he's kind of, he's just going to, he'll be doing eight years without being released. And apparently he um, was released a few couple months later or something like that, and then went out and did some more armed robbery and wound up going back in again. And then he was released again, and I, I don't know the whole story, but basically in all of it, uh, we, the last I heard is he was kind of out again, and and we just prayed and we prayed. I mean, obviously, he was impossible to reach and it would be very weird to think that he would kind of make his way towards us. Well, there's someone who serves at the prison uh, in our fellowship who serves at the men's prison every uh, every week to some degree. And it's just been such a sweet thing and a really faithful, amazing sister in Christ. And she's so good at just going, hey, let's just we should get you in there to at least kind of get to meet the, the chaplain uh, and I think you could really have a really good time in there, and we did. And I, I went in there this last Sunday to kind of, in essence, stick my toe into the pool and get a feel. And as we did, uh, lo and behold, I looked up, and there was this young man who kind of looked at me sheepishly and asked if he could sit next to me. And I went, please, please do. And the Lord just was prompted by saying, you need to let him know you forgive him. And, you know, and so he was about to take communion and I kind of looked at him and I, and he was like, hey, I'm so sorry. So I said, well, then give us back our stuff, man. No, I didn't say that at all. <laughs> I didn't remotely say anything like that. But uh, I didn't even think it at the time. I mean, I'm thinking it now. Anyway, but I just looked at him and just said, you know, I just want you to forgive you. And he just, his eyes got filled with tears and I just said, man, God's got an amazing calling on your life. And you need to recognize the battle is going to be strong. Anyways, all of that said, that'll play into a bit of where we're at with our kings today. 
I just want to pray for him for a moment. My heart's heavy for him. I mean, he is going to be, apparently he's going to be in prison for at least a few more months. And then the plan is for him to get to rehab. That's his plan, to get to rehab in Essex. And I said, well, there's a pro and con. You may come out of there sober, but you're coming out in Essex, boy. And you got to deal with that. Anyway, so let's just pray for him, please. Lord, we just pray for N. Uh, you know who that is. And our hearts uh, just really want to see him, not just sober, but right with you. And I want to thank you that you tell us that if we confess our sin to you, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and I just pray this, this guy would know that. And he would recognize the power of being a new creation in you. So Lord, please just do your work there, I pray. In this time, redeem every second, Lord. We've got a few people to walk through. And I just pray that you would really do that work now. Have your way, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, hey, you know, one thing I realize that we don't have is you don't have those sort of king's lists, do you? Uh, Hugo, would you grab those since you're up? Anyways, merci. Mon ami. Was it gentil? We have, we've done, we've done a sort of a thing here to try to help you get through, and I don't want to put it that way. It isn't like it's going to the dentist. This is scripture, and because it's scripture, it's awesome. And we are kind of roughly a thousand years before the coming of Jesus, roughly, uh, and now we're working our way through that. Oh, thank you very much. And, and again, I just want to make clear how this sort of works. There were three kings of the United Empire, uh, that's Saul. Who, uh, and then David, and then Solomon. Solomon after Solomon in his divided heart, he'll leave that legacy, and the kingdom will be divided. The southern two tribes, we'll know them as Judah and Benjamin. Judah is, by the way, where we get the term Jew from today. Uh, that, that's all on your left. And if it goes straight down like that, what that means is that's the son of the guy in front of him, or on top of him, if you will. So if it's blue, what that means is he was a fairly decent guy. That he wasn't as horrible as the other guys that aren't in the blue. Notice there's no blue on the right-hand side. Well, there's a reason for that. None of those guys are good guys. They're all horrible and rotten, and some of them even worse than the average rotten. We're going to meet a couple of those today. Now, understand what God is doing in all of this. In this particular book, he is now giving us a transitional chapter. This chapter, 1 Kings 16, is a transitional chapter that works us through basically the main character we will look at for the rest of the 1 Kings. And he's, his guy's name is Ahav. And Ahav, by the way, we know him as Ahab. Um, and his battle with God, which winds up becoming his battle with Elijah, Eliyahu, if we're going to say it right. Uh, and somewhere in all of that, we have to work our way through a few kings. Now, this is the simplest of it. If you look on your left for a moment, do you see that this guy, Rehoboam, had a, king, had a son and his name was Abiyah. Do you see that? Remember the J? Some of you speak other languages. This makes it easy. The J is, an, is a Y sound, so it's Abiyah. And then from there, we get the next guy. Do you see that? And his name is Atza. Notice, by the way, there's a number beside it, if you can see that in there. Oddly enough, on my computer screen, that's a high lit. Uh, here, it's kind of a low lit, isn't it? Anyways, he rules for 41 years. And the reason I say that is, he's going to rule from the end of Jeroboam's rule on the right-hand side, all the way through to the beginning of Ahav's rule. In other words, all of these guys that do this little dance around here, do you see that kind of on the right-hand side to Ahav? Uh, he's going to, in essence, be the king through all of that. So, we're, so the reason I say that is since it gets us to Achav, and then basically the rest of the book of First Kings brings us through his life, what that means is we're going to see no new Judean kings 
for the rest of this book. The only time we're actually going to see kind of the kings mentioned as far as the West, we'll ultimately see that, that Asa's son, Yehoshaphat, is going to build some form of really ridiculous union with Ahav. And God's kind of like, if you want to look in the dictionary for a really bad, horrible person, in my opinion, Ahav is going to be a really textbook guy for you. And we'll see kind of why. So as we kind of look at this and we work our way through, what we see is that God's going to show us he's going to punctuate that time in between with these different people. And so we, as we sort of look through them, remember, every one of them has an epitaph. I mean, God may give someone just a few verses. I mean, one guy, by the way, is going to rule for a week. With seven days, that's it. And the question is, what would his epitaph look like, his tombstone? What would you write on that one? And the reason I say that is each one of them, there's a lesson to learn. And perhaps you've heard it said uh, that, you know, if God is going to use you one way or another, either you're going to be a blessing and an example. And if not, God's going to use you as a warning. And and these guys, every guy on our right-hand side is going to be a warning. He's somebody that you kind of go, note to self, don't act like that guy. And if you take a look at it, notice, by the way, once we get to Ahav, we see a dynasty of this will be the longest family lineage in the entire northern side. Do you see that? Remember, if it's straight down, what that means is it's someone's son. Now, notice those other red ones. The M, by the way, stands for murder. Uh, and the S, well, we'll get that in a moment. But basically, you kind of have that Yeroboam had a son who was murdered by a guy who had a son who was murdered by another guy who ultimately was replaced by a guy who had a son who had a son who, by the way, murdered another guy who then had a bunch of guys as sons. That's kind of how this plays out. Well, it kind of sounds like any royalty, doesn't it? Um, so ultimately, when we get to Yehud, that will be our longest lineage, and he will play into all of this. And a really, because he's going to be a super big house cleaner on both sides. Now, giving you that information, let me just kind of put things into perspective. If we were to do that here in just England, what would that would mean in essence is London and south of London separates itself from the Midwest in the middle, that's sort of Manchester and all that, and all the way up through to York and Leeds and all the way beyond, all the way to Newcastle, all that winds up being the 10 northern tribes. In the south, there's basically the Londoners and then the coastal guys south of us. That's kind of the two tribes of the south. Uh, In the north then are the ten tribes. And by the way, by the time they're taken captive, they will be, perhaps you've heard this, the mystery of the ten lost tribes. Well, first of all, God hasn't lost them. But the idea is that the ten of those tribes then get taken captive, that north gets taken captive, and then they wind up intermarrying and dispersing among a whole lot of other people. We'll get there in time. I don't want to give it all now. Here's the point. Let's get into our, our study. And we begin it, by the way, if you start to look at this, with Baasha. Baasha, by the way, is the first king who murders someone to get the throne on the, on the side of Israel. Again, Lord, just let your scripture come alive for us. May we have so much fun in getting what we're supposed to get out of this. And Lord, do more than just kind of tickle us. We, you know, it's almost dangerous to say it that way. But more than anything, Lord, draw us in and touch our hearts and change us and make us more like you. Let us take seriously the warnings you put in front of us. And in that, Lord, make us more like you. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Like always, please don't just believe me. Never just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be the authority. Chapter 15, verse 27 says, Then Baasha, the son of Ahiah, of the house of Issachar, cons- cons- conspired against him. And Baasha killed him at Gibbeton 
which belonged to the Philistines, while Nadav and all Israel laid siege to Gibeon. Obviously, there's a point where Israel in the north is in a in battle array. They're fighting the Philistines, and Baasha says, "This is a really good opportunity. Looks like a lot of people are are dying here. Let's just kill the king and take his throne." And that's kind of the idea. It tells us in verse 32 there was a war between Atza and Baasha, all the king of Israel, all their days. In the third year of Atza, and by the way, remember, Atza is going to be the king on the on Judah's side that will rule all the way until Achav. So he's just going to say, of the 41 years, three years into it, he's got a king change. It says, in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, Baasha, the son of Ahia, became king, and he ruled over Israel in Turza. Everyone just say that word, because it's kind of a fun word to say. Turza, try that. Turza. Oh boy, that was really lame. Come on now. Come on. Some of you some of you were not born in a mild culture. Terza. Terza, by the way, for for what it's worth, means favorable. It's kind of a nice word. It's the kind of thing that you might take a bite of something and go, Terza, this is good. This is good. Uh, not anything like an English word that'd be remotely near it. The point of it is, is that this was the capital of the uh, nation of the north all the way through until the time of Ahab's dad Omri. So all of those first six kings, this was their capital. And this guy steps in like he would. Uh, we read, by the way, for what it's worth, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. The Song of Solomon actually mentions this place. See, the thing is, if you just look right past this, and then you read like the Song of Solomon, you're like, I don't know, Turtle, whatever that is. But it says in Solomon, uh, Song of Solomon 6, 4, Oh, my love, you're as beautiful as Turtle. Now, either Turtz is really nasty, which means she is really nasty, which obviously isn't the case. In this case, he isn't really nasty. Or really is a beautiful place. As a matter of fact, it just says, you're as lovely as Turtz, you're as lovely as Jerusalem. Awesome as an army with banners. Obviously, that's awesome. That's the idea. Now, we're with this guy, Baasha. He takes, he sets up his throne as everyone has before this point in this place. And he reigned for 24 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin in which he made Israel sin. Remember, Jeroboam was the one who set up the golden calves during this time. Then, chapter 16, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Yehu. Yehu! He is one of two prominent members with this guy's name. Now, I don't know. I think this is kind of a cool name to name your, your kid, except that the name means he is Yahweh. I don't know. I wouldn't name my kid that. There's this guy, and he's a prophet. He's the one that's going to be listed in 1 Kings. In 2 Kings 9, we're going to meet another guy, Yehu. And you can find him, by the way. Look at the on this thing. Look at the long, horizontal red arrow. Do you see that? Yahu is the one guy that gets to kill people on both sides. Well, anyways, that's the other guy. This guy in the other end is a prophet. So we have a prophet on this side. The next one's going to be the power washer, if you will. He's the son of Hanani. Hanani means gracious. And he came against Baana. Remember, he's the prophet, and he shows up and talks to a king. Think about the guts it would take for a prophet to go and speak to Queen Elizabeth. Just kind of putting things into perspective. Or let's just have more fun with it. A prophet that would go and speak to President Trump. Anyway, with all of that... Yeah, yeah, see, that's for whatever reason, that's, I knew that would hit that funny bone. All right. He goes against Baasha and he says, verse 2, Inasmuch as I lifted you out of the dust and made you rule over my people Israel, and you have walked in the way of Jeroboam, and you've made my people Israel sin to provoke me to anger with their sins, surely I'll take away your posterity. Now you realize what that means. That doesn't mean he's going to rip off his rear end. Posterity means your children. He's losing his legacy here. 
I will take away the posterity of Baasha and the posterity of his house, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Now, don't miss this, because when Baasha took the throne from Jeroboam's son, he killed everybody that had a Jeroboam name to it. In other words, imagine if Jeroboam was the surname, though it seems to be the single name. The idea of it is, is that he kills everybody that's a Jeroboam, so there's nobody left. That's what Baasha did to get the throne. And now he acts just like, here's the ironic thing is, he killed the king and all of his family to replace him, but he's the same guy. There's the sad part about it. It's like he may have... Now think about how he could have played that one off though. Aren't you sick and tired of this guy being wicked? And Aren't you sick and tired of him misrepresenting God and all that? But then once he gets up there, he winds up being just as bad as the last guy. And you know what God says is, well, look at what you did. You kind of killed everybody to basically take the throne to do the same thing. Guess what's going to happen to you? The same thing is going to happen to you and your family. Just thought I'd let you know. And just so you know... It doesn't get pretty. Verse 4, the dogs will eat whoever belongs to Baasha and dies in the city. And the birds of the air will eat whatever whoever dies in the fields. Now, that just sounds gross. We can get that. But it's more than just that. To this day, it is a huge deal to get a proper burial as an Israeli. Because they still believe in a resurrection of the dead, of the just and the unjust. It's actually ingrained in them. However, not everybody's going to tell you that. So when you ask, well, what difference does it make where you're buried then if you don't believe in an afterlife? And to this day, there are certain places that are huge and important to be buried. And only certain places, only very, very instrumental, but I should say people that are instrumental to the benefit of the nation Israel are buried in certain places like up on the Mount of Olives. And the reason I say that is, is it's not just, well, you, it's going to be gross and your body's dead and nasty things are going to feed on it. What they're saying is, you're not even going to get a decent barrel out of this. And you know who you do that to? Someone who is disgusting. That's the idea. Someone who is to what you have done to Hitler. That's kind of the idea. Well, so this is God speaking through this prophet. And he says, hey, listen, this is what you did. You took over this guy's throne and you were just like him. So guess what? The same thing I said to him, I said, you were nasty and you've led everyone away from me. There's no decent burial or afterlife for you. Well, guess what? You're acting just like him. Why would you think it would be any different for you than for him? Don't miss that because it's going to sum up this guy's life. It isn't just the guy first murderer to take the throne of Israel. This was a guy that in essence stole the throne, but was no different. And understand, there are two kinds of people in the world when we see a problem. There are those that complain about it and do nothing. And then there are those that want to be part of a change. This guy may have complained, but he did nothing to change it. Do you really think that the state of Christianity in our country here, or for that matter, even in the Western world, is one that God honors and is blessed? Oh, yeah, that's exactly what I was looking for. Do you really think that? I don't. But from the very beginning of my coming to know Jesus, I wasn't born a Christian, raised a Christian. But at 19, when I first was found by him, if you will, I still lived a lot like I did before. Like a lot of the people out there that I say, what a bonehead today, because I've been that. But I remember what it was like when God opened his word to me and started revealing himself in his word. And I'm like, wow, this does not look anything like what I saw Christianity to be. And it wasn't like I was just going to go and complain about it. I realized... Well, then let's make something different, God. Let's do it according to your book. Let's do it in a way that we can look and go, you know what, I, I, as far as I can tell, we're doing this right. But do you want that side of you? It isn't just, well, here lies, you know, and I, I have to pick someone who isn't here, right? Here lies Schmedley Hork, who became food for the dogs and birds of the air. What you really want? 
Now the rest of the acts of Baasha, by the way, in verse 5, and all that he did with his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Baasha rested with his father and was buried in Tirzah. Then Elah, his son, reigned in his place. The end of the story, except for this, this sort of epilogue. And also the word of the Lord came by the prophet Yehu, the son of Hanani, against Baasha in his house because of the evil he had done in the sight of the Lord in provoking him to anger with the work of his hands and being like the house of Yeroboam, and thus because he killed him. So here lies Baasha, who, by the way, I remind you, his name means stinky or evil, harmful. How's that? And you'd say, well, who names their kid that? I think a lot of people could name their kid that. I've, Anyways. Here lies Baasha, if you will. More of the same with no future. Isn't that basically who he was? He was more of the same, but he had no future because of it. We shouldn't expect anything great to come from his children because they're going to follow in their dad's footsteps. Now, I remind you, this wasn't a guy that we read a great lineage prior. He's going to start one here with us. And do you want that set of you? Look at, we know, and some of you can quote it verbatim, Jeremiah 29, 11, where it says, I know the thoughts that I think or the plans that I have for you. It all depends on your version. Plans for peace. To give you a hope and a future. This is what I have. This is my plans for you. My plans are to bless you, not to curse you. My plans are to give you a future that you're going to look at and go, wow, and to give you a hope. You know what a hope is in the simplest sense? It's to anticipate with pleasure. The idea is you wake up and you're excited about the next thing. The future is not to be fearful of. It's something to go, man, I can't wait to get there. And here lies a guy, completely the opposite. That's like, I had a different plan. Notice that's what Ella says. He goes, you know, I gave you a choice here. Stinky. You didn't take it, man. Don't blame me, God speaking. I gave you the option. And you know what you did with it? You acted like everybody else. I give you an... Listen, 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 please. I gave you the option to rise above the nastiness around you. I gave you the option to rise up and say, even if everybody else is going to go that route, I'm not going to go that route. Root, if you will. You know why? Because it doesn't honor God. And even if everything that's sort of called church or Christianity or whatever goes in one direction, but somehow in all of that, it goes against his scripture. The scripture says, let all men be a liar and God still be true. God's not going to take a new vote and go, oh, well, I didn't realize everybody else was going to think that. Well, okay, changed my mind. He doesn't do that. So as we start this, there's this challenge to not be this person, which is, don't just go with the flow if the flow is heading down the toilet. Who wants that? Rise up above that and watch God give you the future he intends. Next guy. Verse 8. In the 26th year of Atza, king of Judah, Elah, the son of Baasha, became king of Israel. Now, I, don't, I wouldn't want to be this guy. And one reason is because God's already prophesied through Yahoo that this guy is going to get clobbered and die and he's not even going to have a decent burial. And he's like, which one would you choose? If you kind of know, you know, dad comes up and goes, hey, I just got prophesied. He said that all my children are going to die in nasty places. And if you're in the city, dogs are going to eat you. And if you're in the, the field somewhere, the birds are going to eat you. Where do you hang out? Do you choose the city for the dogs? or I mean, what dogs, birds, which one do you want to be chow for? 
Elah, by the way, like the Valley of Elah where David fought. Uh, he fought Goliath. Was it the Valley of Elah? Elah means oak, like a big oak tree. Maybe the kid was born and he looked like a rugby player. I really don't know. So he's the son of, of Stinky. He became king over Israel and he reigned two years in Terza. Well, we're not going to get an awful lot of him. Obviously, two years isn't a tremendous amount of time, but it's more than this guy. Now, his servant Zimri. Zimri, by the way, means my music, for what it's worth. Uh, we might call him playlist. Uh, commander of half of his chariots conspired against him as he was in Terza drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza, which means earthy, steward of his house in Terza. Remember, Terza, that's the capital. Now, I have to go with the fact that this seems like a very private encounter. Here's a king. He's taken the throne because dad has passed away, if you will, and now it's his turn. And as he takes the throne, he looks and he's like, okay, hey, you, the one who handles my health, earthy guy, let's go party, man. Come on, just you and me in your house. You can't do it in my, I can't do it in my palace. I mean, come on, I can't do it in my palace. Everyone's going to see your house, dude. Come on. And he kind of hides out, and the two of them are cracking it open, and they're just getting totally wasted. And guess what God's like? I just want you to know, first of all, I, I, I see all of this. You're not hiding from me. Not only do I see it, I see who you're with. I see where you are. I see every drink you take in this. And you're supposed to be king, and you're hiding out doing this? You're supposed to be an example for the nation, and you're doing this? But guess what? He's not the, God's not the only one. Who sees him do this? Because guess who else does? Another guy named Zimri. I'm sorry, another guy named Omni, I'm sorry. Because Omni is going to come, or Zimri, I'm sorry. Zimri is going to come in. I'm sorry, I don't want to confuse you. Zimri is going to come into this situation. Ella, remember, Oak is getting, if you will, Oak is getting oaked. Uh, and as Oak is getting oaked, Zimri is going to come in and he's going to kill him. And he's easy bait. First of all, this is how I know that the king isn't like doing this in a way that's kind of out in the open because then the king would have an awful lot of bodyguards, if you will, that Zimri would have had to get through. Although what we're going to find out about Zimri is that he was a really, well, we're going to find out here in a moment. He's kind of a goof. Here's the point. What we're going to find out about this guy, and I remind you, there's this prophecy against his dad, Ella's dad, Stinky, that says, man, all of your family is just going to get wiped out because that's what you did. And look what's going to happen here. So this guy's somewhere hiding out instead of being a king, and he's getting totally wasted with a guy that we only know from this story in a little private residence somewhere, if you will. And meanwhile, while this is happening, Zimri's kind of like, oh, this is the time to kill the guy. He can't even raise his hand properly. He can't walk straight, nonetheless, chase me. So it says in verse 10, Zimri went in and struck him, and he killed him in the seven, in 27th year of Asa. Remember, that's our, our reference. King of Judah, and he reigned in his place. It came to pass when he began to reign, as soon as he was seated on the th- as soon as soon as he was seated on the throne, that he killed all the household of Baasha. God's like I warned you. Spoiler alert! And he did not leave him one male, neither of his relatives nor of his friends. Bad time to be a friend of old the old drunk king here. Thus Zimri destroyed all the household of Baasha, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke against Baasha by Yahuwah the prophet. 
for all the sins of Baasha and the sins of Allah, his son, by which they had sinned, by which they made Israel sin, and provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. Now the rest of Acts of Oki, and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the King of Israel? So we start with Baasha, I remind you, that was more of the same with no future. And we ended up with this guy, Ella, who was the psychopath who was dead drunk. Get it right? So he was, and that's the idea. This was a king who killed everyone on the, of the other guys. And imagine, he's like, I just can't wait to be king. And then he kills everyone, and then he gets drunk about it. And then guess what? You're done. That was it. And it tells us in the 27th year then, so, so which one do you want to be? You want to be more of the same with no future? Or the guy that was secret, that had this secret sin that wound up becoming the thing that kills him, makes him available for death. He was open. He was a target because of this secret thing. Which I don't want either of these things said about me. And the only way, by the way, here's the cool part. I'm assuming, I'm no prophet, but I'm assuming that your last breath isn't going to be tonight. Maybe it is, but I don't know. I'm just going to assume otherwise which means you have choices to make between now and the time they write your epitaph that could change everything and be known for. What do you want to be known for? Do you really want to be known for? Well, you know, they're kind of just like everybody else. They had no real future in it. Yeah, great. How, who, who wants that said? Or there was the secret sin that was their takedown. And you know, sometimes I've known people after they die, they have to do things like clean up all of their stuff and the wife starts going through and he goes, what's all this? Because now all of a sudden, it's a lot harder to hide things once you die. You're probably aware of that, right? So, my music, playlist, Zimri. In the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, Zimri reigned over Terza seven days. Did you get that? How long did he reign over Terza? Seven days. This is our weak king. And he's going to be weak in a couple ways. Uh, for what it's worth, it's the shortest reign, you probably guessed it, on the northern side. Shortest reign of any king. And all the people were encamped against Gibbethon. Remember that? That was back when actually Baasha actually killed Jeroboam's family and kind of took the throne. Strange. They're back up there doing that again, which belonged to the Philistines. Now the people who were encamped heard it and said, Zimri has conspired and also has killed the king. So Israel made Omri, the commander of the army, king over Israel that day in the camp. Now, remind you, this other guy kills Baasha and his family and takes the throne. His name is Omri. And not to make things, I mean, we could say he's like kind of Omri, but in all of that, he gets replaced by a guy named Zimri, because after all, isn't that not confusing? And that's why it's kind of nice to have it at least on your right here to look at. So follow me in this for just a moment. Stinky Baasha, remember, he kills this guy's family to take the throne. He has a son named Oki, Ella. And Ella, by the way, is murdered by this guy who, by the way, I remind you, that's our, uh, that's our Zimri, who, by the way, kills him and all of his family the same way. And then this guy has one week. And what happens is he sits on the throne, kills all of that family. Maybe that took a week. And then people are like, we don't want you. Why in the world do we want you? And what becomes clear is this other guy, Omri, versus Zimri, Omri actually He's going to be a really mighty military leader. As a matter of fact, the difference between Zimri, the one weak king, and he is one weak king, for that matter. We're going to find that he actually is not just one weak king. He's a king who gets really fired. Uh, on the other hand, this Omri character is a man of great military might. As a matter of fact, if you actually check certain things, like for what it's worth, 
In the Assyrian records, they actually, 150 years later, they found a steel in the Assyria. Does anyone know where Assyria is today? Iraq. And in Iraq, they find this steel. What it, that means, not a piece of metal, but it's actually a record that's written usually on a piece of pottery where they actually called the land of Israel the land of Omri, 150 years later. And they actually said that he actually held off and defeated the Assyrians and uh, the, um, the Arameans as well, who are in the, in the north. And, by the way, held off all of the Moabites, just what we might call some that would be Jordanians today. So this king was kind of known as being kind of a, a tough cat, would be the idea. He was super tough. And so he didn't have a problem. And so get the idea here. This guy steals the throne, Zimri, but he's just not strong. And then you have this other guy. He's kind of like, well, hear me on this. That, that king's a weakling, so he just kills them all. Chances are he does that with a handful of men. And then, but he doesn't show himself strong enough to really lead the people. And the people are like, Psh, you're puny. Give me that guy. That guy's strong. And here's this, in the end of it all, what we're going to find is, it's his downfall. And here's the danger. If you really want to bank on your strength and try to get people to follow you, because whatever that strength is, that could be intellectual, that could be in some form of gift, uh, sort of in talent or whatever, be that in social gifts, maybe the way that you look or whatever. The problem with any of those things is someone's always, and, and I don't mean to be bad for your self-esteem, but someone's always going to wind up on top of that. Sooner or later, even if you are the number one right now, it just doesn't last forever. And that's unfortunately the case with this guy. He banked on something that he was never the best at. Oh, he was good, good enough to take down another household, but not big enough to hold it himself. So Omri, verse uh, 17, went up to Gibbethon, and they besieged Terza. Remember, that was that Philistine area. And it happened when Zimri saw that the city was taken, that he went into the city of the king's house and burned the king's house down upon himself with fire, and he died. Talk about a grim story. This guy takes the throne, he rules for a week, and the people are like, like, we want you. And so he knows that all of a sudden, with that happening, Omri, the military man, surrounds his area, and he goes, well, if I can't have this palace, nobody can have this palace. So he burns it down. And just to make sure that it's a thorough job, he stays inside it, just to make sure it really burns down all the way. This was a king, let me remind you, he is the weak king who was genuinely fired. And that's the point here was fired by the people, and he couldn't handle that rejection. In the end of it all, he really was a man known for his weakness. He boasted of great strength, but died a weakling. He died so weak that even this situation took him down. Do you want that said of you? Or do you want to be able to say, this was the king who was fired that no one wanted? How sad is that? But you know what? Here's the crazy part. You can spend your whole life trying to get people to want you. But when you keep shaping yourself to what they might want, by the time they want, you're not you anymore. Does that make any sense? And there's the danger. Before I knew Jesus, I was a musician. I've been a musician my whole life. The only thing I've studied longer than that, to be honest, was, well, anyways, it's, an, it's another story. But let me just say this. I got to this point where I didn't intend initially to be anything that was a performance artist. 
Oddly enough, I was a writer from very, very early. And somewhere in high school, I was roughly 14 years old, there was a group of guys that were like, well, the kind of popular guy on campus. My school, my high school, was roughly, I think it was three, 4,000 people. It was a pretty big place. It was its own city. And uh, it was so big, we had to run everyone on rotation. It was like you went to school for 45 days and you got 15 off. And then you kept doing that for the entire year because there were so many people, we had to rotate them in and out. And with all of that, this guy was kind of the big guy on campus. Now understand, I was kind of the younger grades, and this guy, on the other hand, he was he was the last grade. He was he was 18, and he was bragging about this great band that he had. Oh, you're gonna love this! And he and he wasn't bragging to me. I was this little thing. One thing you might not know: when I entered into secondary school, I literally was the smallest kid in my class in my school. I mean, seriously, I was smaller than the girls. Genuinely, I was smaller than everybody. I was, I know this is going to be hard to believe, I was smaller than Hugo. I was small. And what was crazy is that then all the tall girls liked me, and then I got tall. Anyways, it's just weird opposites. Uh, but in all of that, so I'm this little kid, and this guy is kind of suave, and he's all cool, and he starts talking about this band, and I kind of tug at his pant leg, if you want. I'm like, he's like, but we're missing a guitarist. We need a guitarist. I kind of tugged his pant leg and went, I kind of I kind of play guitar. And I think he looked around and then had to look down. Oh, there you are. And he's like, well, we'll audition you tomorrow. All right. So I had a night to practice. Now, by that time, I had been seriously playing guitar for seven years. I'd been playing piano for nine by that point, And I had really, I'd soaked a lot of time and energy into it. My mom was a jazz singer. It was, I was raised around it. But this is my first rock experience. And... The uh, I showed up there and it was like the drummer had a broomstick shoved into a lawnmower with a nail on the end of it to hold up a cymbal. And that's a good archetype for the whole thing. And then there was the t- this guy Gino and his little brother fighting over who was going to play guitar and bass. Neither really played their instruments. And so we, I, and I'm kind of walking in and I start playing. You know, it was that time when playing fast and loud meant something. And... He's like, I'll be right back. And Gina went inside. And he comes out. He goes, we have a gig tomorrow. And I'm like, none of you play your instruments. He's like, yeah, we have a gig tomorrow. Where? For a radio station in Chicago. Well, I'm like, well, we're staying up all night. We're going to learn it right. Simple, simple two-chord songs. And the only reason I say that is that day was the first day I got to publicly perform in such a capacity. It was raining, playing electric guitar. I remember kneeling in the water and getting buzzed, like literally. and uh, But the people would look and they would clap, and it was the first time I ever saw that. I'm like, wow, that feels good. That feels really good. And for a teenager, man, that's like the greatest drug there is. Nothing feels like that. Well, as the band seemed to progress, Gina got to the point where he was like, you know what we're really missing is decent instruments. I'm like... Yeah, of course. And so let's do a benefit concert to raise money for that. So we did, raised several thousand dollars. And all of a sudden, the next day, Gina was gone, the money was gone, and we were kind of staring at each other. And uh, oddly enough, Gina spent all the money on clothes, thousands of dollars on it, and then joined the army. Does that make any sense to you? You're probably aware when you join the army, they kind of give you clothes, and you're just like, well, you can wear whatever you want. And then let them shoot you, you know. And I just and all of a sudden we're staring at each other now. These these particular people. Now we're down to three people, and we kind of look, and they're like, "You should try singing." 
Never tried singing rock before. All right. It was a battle of the bands. We showed up a week later for this battle of the bands, and it was my first public appearance as a singer. And we were, I was writing the songs anyway, so I just could write songs in my own range, which I didn't. I always wrote them out of the way I can sing. Still do. That's why you guys struggle with me. And it was a whole new level of this drug. Because, man, people are about just applauding, and we won, and it was, and then you graduate to the next level, and the next level, and the next level, and the next level. But there's this thing that starts to happen, because you start to separate yourself from the people. And you become this sort of two-dimensional character, if that makes any sense. And people don't know anything, I mean, they're more interested in what flavor ice cream you like, but they don't really know what you love, and what you care for, and what makes you really happy, and what makes you sad. And Because none of that matters anymore. And now things get out, way blown out of proportion. And now it's like you get to this place where you're a public figure. And now it's like people are, magazines are literally putting other people next to you to take pictures, to sell their magazines, to say, she's having your baby, but you've never even met her. And it's, it gets that. And it, everything gets so shallow. And you, you feel like you feel like an M&M with nothing inside. And it's like people look and go, well, you're blue when you've got an M on it. And, oh, you taste like sugar. But once you crack it open, there's nothing there. And, no, and the worst part was is nobody cared. That was enough. It was blue and it was sugar-coated and that's all that mattered. And you realize at that point, you get to this point where you just kind of sober up for a moment and you go, man, it doesn't really matter. It's like these people love, but they don't love me. It isn't like they, they love this thing, this little monster, this candy thing I've created. And as long as it keeps the status quo, we're cool. But you probably heard this, it said, if you have to fight to gain, you have to fight to maintain. If you've got to work to get it, you have to work to keep it. And that's the problem. And the reason I say that back in our text, I mean, by God's grace, all of that would ultimately lead to me finding Jesus, is that this particular guy was a guy that somehow in this thinking maybe that getting the throne would make him liked, and he wasn't wanted. And he wasn't wanted because he killed everybody that was his competition. How is someone going to like a guy like that? And then he's like, I'm the strong guy, but he wasn't as strong as Omri. So he dies being the guy that people are like, I don't want you. In the end of it all, there's a God who knows every single nasty, rotten thing about you and me. And he's not afraid. He's not driven by it away. He's not horrified. Rather, he sent Jesus to die on the cross so you wouldn't have to carry it for the rest of your life or worse yet, eternity. Jesus is like, I'll do it, Dad. And he took all of that shame and regret and guilt and filth and he put it on his shoulders and he died on a cross so it could be punished, buried it in the grave and then rose again without it to give you a life that's without it. Have you said yes to that? Because I'm here to let you know, you are wanted. You are so wanted. And you're wanted by the one person who actually knows you better than you do. You're going to discover things about yourself and, and go, ugh. And God's like, I already knew that. I knew that when I died for you. I knew that when I paid your bill. Well, last guy. Let me close this up. Well, remember, there was 
Zimri, the weak king who was fired, who nobody wanted. But after he died, not everybody still wanted Omri either. It says in verse 21, Then the people of Israel were divided into two parts. Some followed a guy named Tibni. Tibni, by the way, means intelligent. I think that's interesting. The son of Ginnat, which means protection. To make him king, and the other half followed Omri. Tradition has it that this lasted about six years. The people who followed Omri prevailed over the people who followed Tibni. Now notice it doesn't just say that Omri prevailed, but the people did. So you know what that means, right? There was a battle. There was a civil war in the north that was already in a civil war with the south. How's that? It's like, you get it. Team Iron Man has got its own issues. So the people followed Omri, some. The people followed Tibni on the other end of it. But so what happened? In the first year of King Asa, king of Judah, Omri became king over Israel, and he reigned 12 years. Six of those years he reigned in Tirzah. Remember that was the capital? But then, he bought the hill of Samaria. Samaria, by the way, Shemana means watchtower, from the guy named Shemer, who named the area Shemaria. You get that, right? That'd be like, hi, my name is Hugo. Do you like my area? What's it called? Hugo Town. That's kind of the idea. Shemer, Shemaria. That's kind of the idea. He bought it for two talents of silver, and he built on that hill. He called the name of that place Shemaria, or as we say, Samaria, which was named after Shimmer, owner of the hill. It's on the slopes of Gilboa. Now, that may not mean much to you unless you're a Bible student. Gilboa, by the way, was the place where the first king dies. The guy who would not give up the throne, David's predecessor. It oversees the Valley of Jezreel. We know that to be the battle site for Armageddon. Spoiler alert. It's also now going to be the capital of the northern kingdom for the rest of the time of the northern kingdom until they're taken captive. So you know, this is where Samaria comes from, this guy, Omri. He's kind of known now for that. That's one thing he has done that was good. This Moabite stone that they have found, by the way, not only in the Assyrian records, in the Assyrian steel, but the Moabite stone actually says that this particular king, Omri, was such a tough dude, if you will, that he had victory even. And who writes that somebody beat you up? Because that's what the Moabites are saying is, boy, this guy just beat us up. This guy, we had no chance. And he also, by the way, beat up Assyria and the Arameans as well. So if you will, the crazy part was this guy, as a military man, was an overachiever. This guy, hear me on this. Some of you are going to be like this. You are just naturally gifted at anything you set your hands to. And you know what? There's always a danger when you're that good. Because then when something actually is a problem or hard, you tend to give up because you've never had to try that hard. I mean, somewhere in every one of us, there needs to be, I'm going to sound like a grandpa here, somewhere in every one of us, there should be a try harder button. You know, that's where when something happens and it's like, oh, I'm not getting there yet. And we press that button and say, I'm going to try a little harder. But you know what happened is we've been raised now, and I, I, I don't want to say, like, I'm playing video games. It's like somewhere down the line, what happens when you start one of those games and you know you're really blowing it from the get-go? What do you do? You die, start the game over, and now look at clean slate. We're cool. And I feel like we live life like that sometimes. Where it's like, oh, I could give this a try. Oh, this really sucks. So I'm just going to give it up. And then you're like, oh, I'll just kill that and I'll just start over. And we have never learned how to try hard at something. And you watch people get divorced because of that. And they're like, well, that's my try over button. 
And if you've been the victim of that, and I mean that by the fact that your parents have gone through that and you've had to deal with that, I am so sorry. Not that I have anything to do with it. Because believe me, I'd be the one person saying, let's fix this thing. But understand, it's what it is. But I remind you, just like all of this, if it really is as nasty and putrid to you as it is to me, then let's be different. Let's have that try harder button. And when it becomes a crit, when we're going to stand for our faith and someone wants to kind of give us a weird look, hit the try harder button and go, you're not going to get me to back down on this. I love this person. And because I love him, I'm not just going to back down. Omri's an overachiever. That's not his problem. He set himself up at this point. to understand, Omri did not volunteer like Zimri. Remember, Zimri's like, just can't wait to be he mean, killed the whole other family so we could get the throne. And then at the end of it, people were like, nah, we want him. And I, can't, I wonder if, like, Omri just kind of went, what? Uh, uh, okay. You know, and, but we don't read that he volunteered. He was such an overachiever that people just picked him. And somehow in all of that, then he goes, well, you know what we need to do? We actually need to go and let's relocate the capital. What an amazing thing that the guy does. But here's the problem, verse 25. And now, remember, we just get to 28. Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all who were before him. Do you know what that means? He's an overachiever in the wrong way. For he walked in the ways of Jeroboam. That's the first guy, the son of Nebat. And in his sin, in which he made all Israel sin, provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. Oh, and by the way, the rest of the acts that he did and all the might that he showed, because remember, he was a strong guy. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Omri rested with his fathers and was buried in Samaria. I mean, he bought the place. He might as well be buried there. And Ahav, his son, reigned in his place. And what we're going to find next week is we begin this journey through Ahav's life as he is, it's like, you're like, boy, Omri... Who could possibly top Omri because he's an overachiever? And Achav says, I'll be worse. I'll be nastier. I'll be horrible. That's the way Achav is going to be. And God's going to be like, and if it was a small enough thing for him to be worse than everyone else, then he married that Jezebel. I mean, God just going to, it's like up one side and down the other. He has a problem with Achav, and we're going to see why. But in this understand, here's this guy. And what we get about Omri is he is an overachiever who placed it in the wrong places. And this was a guy who was strong. He could take that might and do amazing things with it, but he didn't. He could have taken that influence. He clearly had influence because half of the nation went him and he didn't even volunteer. He could have taken that influence and done something amazing with it. Like, hey, what do you guys think about, I don't know, repenting and going back to God? Anybody into that? Nothing like that. God's like, do you want this to be your epitaph? Is it enough to be an overachiever? Even if it doesn't matter where it goes? Congratulations. You are the best at being the worst. Congratulations, Hitler. You are really, really good at being really, really bad. Hey, he had conviction. He had follow through. I guarantee we had to try harder button. It was right next to the kill the Jews button, but it was still the try harder button. And the whole point of it was, is that that guy had all of the capacity to change the world in a, in a better way. He's recorded forever in history here. And this is what we get for him. 
Here's our four kings paraded before us as we go to prayer. The first guy I remind you, that was the psychopath with no future, Baasha. Killed everyone to become king, but then God's like, you're no different. In the end of it all, you are more of the same. Congratulations. Get a tombstone like everyone else's because that was your life. And then it was Allah. The king was dead drunk. Died for his little secret thing. What that's out of you. Now here's the good news, by the way. You can't be different. You don't have to be more of the same. God's never called you to be that. And you can let all of that secret stuff lay at the feet of God and say, we could change this and don't let anything be secret in my life like this. Want to be Zimri? The weak king that nobody wanted? Flaunted himself, took what wasn't his, only to find he got everything he wanted and it was nothing that he needed. And that was Zimri, wasn't it? He died in his palace, surrounded by the wealthiest of things. If it be today, he'd have a flat screen the size of Covent Garden. A sound system that would give you indigestion just to turn it up to one. And it goes to 11. He'd have beluga caviar, but only the best of beluga caviar. And then he gets that cool flying fish eggs because they're like neon and that's kind of cool. Everything's flown in from its place and it's there and he's got his gold-plated slippers on. The finest silk, which by the way, you're probably aware of still burns. He died in that palace. You can't have it. If I can't have it, you can't have it. But you got it all. All this stuff no man needs. And God doesn't say that it's horrible to have something. But he does say it's really dumb to chase after what you don't need at the expense of what you do. And you want that? And then we got this guy, the overachiever at being the worst yet. So much. How many of you heard this word? Potential? You know... You've got so much potential, boy. Young lady, do you know the potential you possess? It's not about having potential. It's about putting it in perspective of where it should be applied. But I want to remind you, my God took your shame and mine and paid for it on the cross, died and rose again and said, will you have me? And he was serious. And as we pray, what if what was said on our epitaph, and if the Lord would tarry, is the person that was different from the rest, that you could smell the future on, the person that had nothing to hide. And no matter how hard we tried, we couldn't find anything to take this person down. The person who lived knowing they were wanted by God and it made them good in their skin. And the person who was the best yet. Because believe it or not, you can make that choice tonight. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, I want to thank you for this amazing text. As we walk through these characters, stinky and oaky, God,
God, I just, what an amazing God you are to show us these people, to parade these people in front of us. Oddly enough to think that we've got playlist, my music, and then a guy named Student of God, Omri, who doesn't seem like he's much a student of you at all. And we have paraded for us now four men whose lives are summed up in a single chapter of don't do this. And God, I want to be in your dictionary under do this. I want people to be able to look and go, it's more than just what he says. Watch the way he treats his family. Watch the way he treats his church. Watch the way he prays for those that he knows. Watch the way he treats the lost around him. God, let my life be one that shines. So with that, make it different than these men. Make it the opposite of what we see here. Please, God, let it be one where my life is totally engaged for eternity. The future is before me, God, and not just tomorrow, but that eternity is what you've called me to be an ambassador of. And for that, I cannot be more of the same in a world that is covered in the overcast and fog of the temporary. Let me not be like Elah, who was hidden, drunk, while death was coming for him. But Lord God, you have right to search and seizure, to exhume and obliterate anything that doesn't line up with you. And God, even as David would say, search my heart, God. See if there be any wicked way in me. Search me out, God, and even remove from me any presumptuous sins. Let there be nothing that I seek to hide from you or anyone else that way. Let me not be somebody so driven by something that it would hurt everyone else to get there in a way to find out in the end of it all that I've had to create something that nobody really wants because somehow I've never really reconciled that I really am wanted by you so that I don't have to do any of that. And in that, Lord, whatever abilities you've given me, make me an overachiever for your kingdom. And here in this room with the sound of this voice, if you're not sure if you've ever accepted the gift of Jesus, the God who paid for it all because he wants you and your sin has separated, your iniquities have separated you between you have come between you and a perfectly holy God, just like mine had. But he's paid the price and now he's simply looking for your permission to wipe it clean and reinvent you from the ground up. And if that's you today, just pray this prayer with me. God, I am a sinner. You know that. I know that. It puts me guilty before you in and of my own merit. But you sent your only begotten son, Jesus, to die on the cross so that all of my crimes in my heart could be punished without me having to be punished for them. What an amazingly merciful and gracious God you are. And as Jesus died, my bill was paid. As he was buried, my filth was buried. And as he rose, you offer me new life with him as my Lord. And I say yes. Yes to the payment. Yes to the burial. 
and yes to the new life, declaring Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Have me now, I'm yours. That's the choice I make. Use me now. In Jesus' name. And if you agree with that prayer, I ask you to say, Amen. You've heard our prayers tonight, God. You've heard the cry of our hearts, so please tonight now, envelop us in your grace and get us excited about how you want to use us uniquely and corporately. In Jesus' name.